This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode. Well, kind of a side episode, I guess, really. This is obviously going to fall under the rankings of all the rest of the episodes of the Best Seats podcast, but this is definitely a one-off episode 36 for those keeping count, uh, but a little bit of a different one. Uh, This is going to be an individual. There is no guest today. This is kind of a end of 2020 wrap-up Uh, Basically, an AMA took questions over Instagram, uh, patreon.com forward slash the best seats, uh, kind of all over. Basically, it was kind of a way for me to wrap the year. Uh, People were obviously spending time with family, the holidays, things like that. And instead of trying to track somebody down and try to do just another episode to wrap the year, I kind of wanted to make it an AMA to basically just say goodbye, thankfully, to 2020 and move into 2021. Uh, Before that, let's get to some housekeeping. Obviously, this is the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with the most talented folks in the hospitality industry from Orange County, greater Southern California, and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. I am so grateful for her. She just released a new track, actually, at the time of this recording. Check out more of her music at AllieCoyleMusic.com. Or go support her family's three restaurants, Fable and Spirit, over in Newport Beach, California, and Wine Works for Everyone, and Dublin Four over in Mission Viejo, California. They are all uh, currently, at the time of this recording, still closed for outdoor dining, as all of California, quote-unquote, is, even though some people are kind of going around that, which we'll get into in the AMA. Um, But they're doing takeout and some other things, so definitely support that. I'm forever grateful for her friendship and her providing the music. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show... Please be sure to leave a rating, review, wherever you're listening to it, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. And for more content, head to thebestseats.com. And do not forget, especially with this episode, if you enjoy the content, you can go to patreon.com forward slash thebestseats, C-E-A-T-S. Subscribe in an amount that makes the most sense for you every month, and you will get early access, ad-free listening to these shows, a ton of other content coming for 2020, which again, we'll get into in some of the questions for this. Um, and the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Whew. This is a weird one, obviously, not having a guest. It's just me and you, wherever you're listening to this. First of all, thank you for listening and supporting. 36 episodes for 2020 is 35 more than I thought I would ever get off the ground. Um, obviously, starting this podcast in, give or take, early April, all those first guests who jumped on, and again, I think the first three, four episodes when I was trying to do this. It was set up as a live show over on Twitch. Um, That was just an absolute clusterfuck, for lack of a better term. It just, it was a mess. Um, Trying to be a one-man production team with live video and internet dropping when you've got other people streaming and trying to work and do Zoom calls was an absolute catastrophe. Uh, But the podcast came together and it kept coming together and it kept going and I kept having people reach out to me and say they wanted to record. And I had friends saying that they had friends that wanted to record. And every single person who I interviewed 
all 30, well, I guess 37, because we had a couple where there were two people. I'm so grateful to all the guests. Thank you to everybody listening. Thank you. Um, it's only going to get better in 2021 for as much hardship as the hospitality industry faced. It was not beneficial. It's not the right word for it, but the best seats grew and it wasn't something I thought that was going to happen. Quite truth be told, I thought it was going to die and go away. Um, obviously this is a, this is a crowdfunded initiative. I have a Patreon for a reason. Uh, this is a niche product in a niche market. This is not a big Patreon like some of the other massive ones or ones that I personally support. This is small. Uh, publications are struggling. Obviously, advertising is drying up, and rightfully so, as restaurants try to make whatever money they can just to simply survive. So the fact that a lot of people do go to Patreon and support this every single month, I very, very, I cannot kid when I say that I would not be doing this without you. So thank you to everybody on Patreon. Thank you to everybody who is supporting and leaving ratings um, and helping other people find this show. And to all of the guests again, thank you. To all the people who wrote in with questions, thank you. Because it's because of you that we're going to have a 36th episode. Um, And there were some fun ones. There were a couple that were kind of repetitive from some people. I kind of compiled them into a bunch. There were some that are going to take a little bit of explanation. But, you know, bear with me and we will get to it. But let's start right off with some fun ones. Angie Rice, my friend, writes in from Miami, formerly of Laguna Beach, and hopefully in the future of Laguna Beach. Will 2021 see Captain America or is Thor here to stay? Now, this is obviously an audio podcast. We're not talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as cool as it is. Sorry, DC fans, facts are facts. We're talking about the fact that it was a pandemic and there were no haircuts to be had. And if you've never seen me in person, then you don't know what she's talking about. I've got some locks right now. Big blonde locks looking like a surfer, except I can't surf because I'm 225 and I would sink right to the bottom of the ocean. That's okay. Angie, I'm happy to say that Thor is here to stay. I, again, the hair hides the weight when you eat and drink, quote unquote, for a living. Um, You need to do all you can to kind of hide those girthier parts of the body. So I'm happy to say that Thor is here to stay for 2021. Hopefully it'll get cleaned up a little bit though, because I kind of look like an unkept lion. Um. What was your 2020 pandemic cocktail at home go-to? From Bowtie Louie, former guest of the show, Luis Del Pozo down at Mayfield and San Juan Capistrano, formerly of Gracias Madre, uh, definite friend of the show. Luis, I'm happy to say that, well, for ordering, it was your margaritas and Palomas. Uh, For those that don't know, Luis was making, like most bartenders, he was making to-go cocktails, ordering them kind of on Instagram. They were really, really big and delicious. If I'm making cocktails at home, I really tried to keep it simple. There were a couple times where I wanted to experiment, like some people, um, but especially in the actual shutdown days, whatever it was, March to, you know, right before Memorial Day, I guess, out here uh, in Orange County, um, I was lucky enough, and I have to give credit where it's due, and I, and I want to preface this by saying that there is no monetary um, give by this company for me to give them a plug like this. This is purely my own volition. Um, Amass Botanics up in Los Angeles uh, were very, very good to me. I kind of got roped into their group's happy hours with all their kind of marketing team and uh, everybody from that company. And it was really awesome. Um, It felt nice to be kind of part of a community and especially a spirits community. I'm a huge spirits person and bar person first and foremost. That's kind of my expertise isn't the right word, but that's my area of passion. Um, the people up at Amass were great to really kind of let me jump on board. I jumped into their uh, storyteller program, which you can follow. I think it's just amass.storyteller or at Amass Storyteller, whatever it is on Instagram. Um, I was doing 50-50 martinis for my kind of go-tos. And basically, for those that don't know what that is, it is a martini. 
again, what the hell else are you going to do other than eat, watch Tiger King and, you know, debate what, whether you're going to just change out of your sweatpants into new ones or, you know, commando it for the afternoon because, you know, quarantine, uh, 50, 50 martinis were my go-to. I really loved them. I was using a mass gin again, not a plug for them. They are no way advertising on the show. This is just what I was doing. Um, and then I was using Dolan, uh, vermouth in it. And it's basically two ounces, two ounces and throw in some grapefruit bitters or orange bitters, something like that. Stir it up, serve it, sip it slow. Cause otherwise it'll put you in the grave. But, uh, yeah, 50 fifties were my go-to huge, huge fan of those. Um, if you're out again, the vermouth can be a game changer. Have some fun if you're at your home bar and you want to make them, or if you are living in a place, cause I know some people are listening to this that are, that is open. Um, and you feel safe going out into a safe environment order 50 50 martini they were really my go-tos but it was those and margaritas there's a bunch of questions that came in about kind of the future of 2020 uh, but there were some but before we kind of get into that there were questions that came into my expectations for establishments that are quote unquote opening safely um, a couple of people wrote in about this this is basically asking at the time of this recording here in southern california Places are shut down. They are not supposed to be open for outdoor dining. Um, definitely not supposed to be open for indoor dining. It is takeout only. Some places are defined that, at least, again, depending on when you're listening to this at the time of the recording, some places are open. My opinion is that if you were open safely before, and I mean outdoor dining only, spaced, strict mask enforcement policies, you know, continued sanitization efforts, things like that. If those were what were in place before the shutdown, I'm not entirely opposed to businesses staying that way. There's a desperate economic need right now for restaurants to survive, plain and simple. I think that if, and again, the case studies are, you know, all over the place. The majority of them that I've seen point to the fact that restaurants are not a major contributor. You know, if you walk around a Target or a Trader Joe's, and I'm not singling out these businesses, I'm using them as examples. So please calm your legal teams down. Um, if you walk into any major big box retailer, you're pretty much going to be shoulder to shoulder with some people. Obviously, people are still trying to limit numbers and be heads up. But for me, I feel more unsafe going to buy, you know, household cleaning supplies than I do ordering a dinner outside on a patio. Now, that being said, there are some restaurants without naming names that have just said, screw it, and are open fully. I've been to a couple of them to see what was what firsthand. Um, something that we'll get into later is kind of media's role in covering the pandemic. I don't think that those places should stay open. There are some places that are doing it, and they're saying that it's to support their staff, and I think that's bullshit. Um, and I'll call them out on it right now. There's places that are fully open, and I mean fully, and they just don't seem like they give a damn. They're giving all the appearances like they do, but truth be told, I think that there are some under-the-hand agreements with either law enforcement agencies or ABC agents or things like that that are allowing these places to operate, and that's wrong. As far as the outdoor safe dining goes, especially with the weather we have here in California, I'm not entirely opposed to it. That's Again, that's my personal position. Um, I am by no means a medical expert. I could be completely wrong on this, and at the end of the day, people need to be safe, but I'm not entirely opposed to that. Alrighty, next up. Do you remember the meal that set you on your path to good food and drink? Um, I remember the drink that set me on my trigger for kind of this. I've always been a fan of this. My mom, 
um, was a, a world traveler, flight attendant for Delta, and, and just a big fan of traveling the world in general. My father is extremely well-traveled, spent time in the UK, Bermuda, uh, places like that. They're both Americans originally, but they're both extremely well-traveled. So good food was something I grew up with. Um, I was incredibly fortunate to grow up eating different cuisines and being exposed to different cultures. And while I definitely had some growing up of my own to do, um, I was fortunate in the fact that I got to travel and I got to eat a lot of different things and, you know, drink different things. Obviously I wasn't, you know, pounding glasses, but when I was younger, you know, it was the classic, you know, you're old enough now, try a sip of scotch, you know, you're old enough, try a sip of this wine, try, you know, try a beer. People were not by any means funneling alcohol down my throat, but we grew up in a way that you should have been exposed to things. And that was incredibly beneficial. You know, the very first drink I ever poured was from my grandmother and it was three fingers of Mount Gay dark rum and two ice cubes. And I will never forget that. Um, the first drink that really triggered me on this entire path for whatever the kind of the best seats is becoming, and it's obviously still evolving, was an Angel's Envy Old Fashioned that was served to me by Michael Rooney at Broadway by Mar Santana in Laguna Beach. This was probably seven years ago, give or take. Um, and I was really into old fashions at the time. Mad Men was really kind of, you know, peak, peak Mad Men, give or take. It might've been on Netflix at that time. I don't, I don't remember where the season was. I just know I was binging at least the first early episodes. Um, and old fashions were my gateway drink. They were my, my kind of gateway to this. You know, I started kind of making them at home in the Don Draper style of the, you know, the muddled cube and everything else. And I was looking to have them when I was out and about, I started ordering them like crazy. And I had a friend who recommended to me where to go to get a really good one. And it was Broadway. Um, and that drink completely shifted my concept of what a cocktail could be and what a cocktail is and that expression and that sense of hospitality. And not that there's anything wrong with a speed bar where you're talking three deep and you're firing out vodka sodas. If that's your jam, that's your jam. But that really, really, really intimate relationship that you build with a bartender where they build that drink and serve it to you and everything in time just stops. And it's just you and the bar top and that person and whoever you're with drinking that drink. Uh, for me, that was definitely the gateway that really kicked off, you know, my borderline obsession with cocktail culture and, you know, by proxy restaurant culture. And then it was just this entire process, you know, kind of like osmosis, just absorbing myself and absorbing as much kind of information as I could about hospitality in general. And that's basically kind of what dumped me down here. Um, the craziest mix of flavors that actually taste good. This was written in on Instagram. I looked over this one a bunch and I was trying to think about what's a crazy mix of flavor that actually tastes good. And for me, one of the things that I thought about most was squid ink pasta. I've never tried squid ink on itself. Um, obviously, we eat with our eyes first. And the first time that I tried squid ink pasta, it was a little bit wild to me because obviously it just comes out jet black. That was one of those first times where you look at it and you're like, I have no idea what to expect, but it was delicious. Uh, the other thing that I will say that it doesn't sound on paper like it should, but especially with the foie gras band out here, I call it the foie gras, the sea, um, on chemo. And I'm probably mispronouncing that. And again, the bestseats.com forward slash you're wrong. You can message me if I am on chemo. If again, I'm not, I don't have time to look that up right now. I don't have a computer in front of me. Uh, monkfish liver. 
is what that is. If you go to a really great, uh, you know, omakase experience or someone who really, really, really knows great sushi, if you're looking for a really kind of unctuous, as weird as that word is, really kind of fun flavor along the lines of foie, that kind of just umami, just melt in your mouth, you know, animal butter. That's a really cool one. Um, I'm a big fan of that. A little bit goes a long way, but that's a really, really fun flavor. That's a crazy, I guess it's not a mix of flavor per se, but it's one of those things that when it's put down in front of you, if you've never experienced it before, it's going to be a new experience for a lot of people. Again, it was a new experience for me a couple years ago when I tried it. Some people that grew up with something like that, obviously it's not for them. Where I came from culturally, that was just different for me. And I'm a huge fan of it and have been ever since. Uh, the same person writes in and asks, how did you learn to cook mixed drinks? Did someone show you? Did you make mistakes? Um, I have fucked up more cocktails at home than I care to admit. And it's part of the process of self-learning. I'm very bad about not reading directions. Um, I don't know if it's classic, you know, kind of male stereotypes. I don't know if I'm just dumb or stubborn or pigheaded. I don't know. I don't read directions. Um, making a good cocktail is about balance. You know, when I was young and in college, it was vodka Gatorade because you were on a path to get, you know, drunk, quite frankly. When you really start to understand flavors and developing flavors and making cocktails um, and cooking is the exact same thing. It's why I'm terrible at baking because baking is basically just rocket science for me. I can't do it. I'm not good at math and I'm not good at measuring and I don't have the patience. So for you pastry chefs, credit where it's due. Um, Cooking and mixing drinks, it was something where I definitely would start to do things and they would turn out just ho-hum. The first time I made a whiskey sour, it tasted like shitty lemon juice. It was awful and it was a waste of whiskey. Definitely, there's so many resources online. There's so many websites. There's so many books. There's so many Instagram accounts. There is no reason to waste product. Uh, the older I've become, I'm an ardent, I'm completely against wasting food as much as possible, as much as humanly possible, um, especially when it comes to vegetables, you know, proteins, anything like that. I don't like to waste any of it. It makes me physically angry. I, I can't stand it. Um, and it's something that I've definitely grown up and grown with as I've kind of pursued this career path. Uh, don't turn away from any of the information that's out there. Support and bigger, more than that, the, while the internet is fantastic, especially in these times, um, nobody writes a book, a cocktail book, a cookbook to make money on it. Very few people actually do. They'll tell you, save your money and you know, don't quit your day job if you want to be a cookbook author. It's kind of a joke that I've heard among a lot of people. The same could go for cocktail books, probably more so. Um, head on Amazon you know, or not Amazon, almost foot in my mouth on that. Find a small bookstore if you can support as small as you can. If you have to go big, go big. Uh, But support a lot of these people. You know, there's been some great books that have released this year, even with all the pandemic stuff. Well, recording this first day of 2021, literally it's the second right now, give or take when I'm recording this. So go and, and buy them, support authors, find something that interests you. If Tiki interests you, there's a massive rabbit hole. You can go down for that. If you want to look more into Southern spirits, um, there's tons of agave stuff out there, tons of things. I just got a copy the other day of Ivy Mixes uh, from Leanda Bar in Brooklyn. I just got a copy of her book. The name's escaping me right now. I think it's Southern Spirits or something like that. I don't remember, but that book is amazing. Um, There's no lack of knowledge out there. There's no reason to mess things up. Obviously, once you kind of get a sense of what you're cooking and you kind of understand basic flavors, 
you can wing it a little bit, but there's enough educational materials out there that yes, I screwed up a lot of things. Um, and it was basically self-taught and now I've started to read recipes. And now that I think I've started to understand flavors a little bit more, I can wing it a little bit better, but definitely learn, treat yourself to a book and learn. On Instagram, I got a question. I think OC, at least South OC, speaking of Orange County, has a strange shortage of bakeries. Is it a fear of carbs? Thoughts? Um, yeah, people are healthy as shit out here. It's a little bit wild. I kind of miss my Midwest friends for that reason that just hunger down for four or five months out of the year. Um, I think there's bakeries. You just got to find them. As far as a traditional bakery, I just don't know if there's a massive market for it. Uh, most people when they're kind of going that breakfast route, especially out here, it's, you know, hitting up the juice bar or something from Starbucks, which is a bummer, but there are some good ones. If you dig around, um, South OC, especially, uh, there's some good ones. San Juan Capistrano has some great ones. Um, there was a really good kind of mom and pop one over in Aliso. They made like tamales on Fridays and stuff like that. I don't know if they're still open off the top of my head. I think the pandemic might've claimed them. Unfortunately, there's a handful you got to dig around, but as far as bakery bakeries kind of go, there's so many strip malls out here and so many kind of chain places that I just think it's a hard market. Um, from my understanding of that business structure, that it's just a hard one to do. I don't have a solid answer on to why, unfortunately. Um, let's see next up. There's so many good ones and I'm so happy. Um, what is the favorite part of what you do? What makes you love the industry so much? Sorry for the pause. Um, it's one of those things where I've read these questions as they came in. I keep trying to put answers to them. I figured it was better just to organically answer them instead of reading from a script, especially because it's just you and me right now. So the reason I love this industry is it, there's no direct answer, first and foremost. I don't know why. Um, I think my like most great loves, there's no exact reason. The hospitality industry is selfless. It's about giving. Um, and it's about giving while sacrificing, sometimes to a massive level. You know, I'm a firm believer that the customer is not always right. Uh, restaurants operate on razor thin margins. Uh, bars, you know, do what they can. It's a very hard industry to survive in. It's a very, very hard industry to get rich in. People do this for passion. Um, they're creating things, you know, food sustains us, drinks sustains us, you know, food and water and shelter, are kind of the three basic needs of life. When you look around at the restaurant scene, and this is including bars too, obviously, um, there's a, a willingness to put yourself on the line and wear your heart on your sleeve to just to put something on a plate. You know, if you look at an artist or a sculptor, uh, somebody building a house, something like that, woodworkers, you're talking about hours and hours and hours and hours of hard work for items that sometimes cost tens of thousands of dollars. You know, if you're talking about sculptures and things like that, I don't know if cooking is that different. You're talking about something making, you're, somebody is making something for you by hand, immaculately to a wonderful degree, making it delicious, making it exciting, making it provocative. And then you pay $32 for it and it's gone and eight minutes later. There's nothing else like that out there in the world. You know, a craft cocktail. Someone is combining flavors, some products that you've never heard of that somebody had to work their ass off to develop and throw into a bottle. You pay $13 for it and it's, you know, gone 15 minutes later. 
there's it, it i i truly think that it's an art form um and i'm not just talking about your upscale three michelin stars you know chef's table on netflix type of restaurants i'll talk about everything if someone is willing to spend their time creating sustenance and enjoyment for other people that's commendable and quite frankly 80% 85% of media that covers it is writing on behalf of the consumer which is fair consumers should be educated on what they need and what's going to be good for them and where they should spend their hard-earned money. That's fair. But who the hell's writing on behalf of the people that are getting their ass kicked by, you know, some jerk off who thinks his vodka soda is too limey or somebody who wants their steak well done, which is a fireable offense, by the way. If you're a well-done steak type of person, you should be put on the no-fly list, in my opinion. There's just... I, I got into this and I have a love for it because I see how hard people work to do something that I think the majority of the time goes underappreciated and is underappreciated for the reason that a lot of people simply don't understand what they're getting and how much work went into it. I don't know if that's the answer. I don't know if that is an answer. Um, I don't know if that's the answer anybody's looking for. But I love it because these are friends. These are great people. They'll be there for you with the drop of a hat. They are there for you no matter what you need. Um, and the entire time, they're just giving. They're giving from themselves. They're giving to you. And I just think that they need to be supported and have their success shouted from the rooftops and have more people support them and understand why they're so damn important because culture is nothing without restaurants. You know, yes, we have our homes. Um, for those that are religious, you have church, we have our gathering places, but that third aspect of our culture is restaurants and bars. And I think without them, a massive part of not just explaining the history of different cultures and different people, but showing where we can go as you know, the human race, quite frankly, um, happens because of food and drink. That's, I'm a firm believer in that. And I, I get that that's a little preachy and kind of, I guess a little esoteric. I don't know, but it just makes sense to me to do this. I don't know why, quite frankly, it just makes sense to me to do it, to support these people that are kind of killing themselves every single day. Um, on a lighter note, what will 2021 look like for the best seats? Well, we're going to shelve that question and get back to it at the end, but I want that to be on everybody's mind. Don't close the podcast just yet because we are going to wrap that one up. But from the same person, Mike Sager, one of my oldest friends, what up, Mike? Favorite drink or dish of 2020? Holy cow. Uh, my favorite dish is a tie. Um, I know I talk about this restaurant all the goddamn time. I live right near Laguna Beach, so logistically for me, uh, Broadway by Amar Santana. It makes sense. It's when, you know, you could take lifts. It was like a $6 lift. It's about an eight minute drive from where I live. Um, it's a really good restaurant. It makes sense for me to go there. I'm not trying to be biased towards South County. North County gets a lot of my love too. Uh, but one of the best dishes I had was down at Broadway. It was a braised beef cheek in a mole. Sorry, I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head. It was a braised beef cheek in a mole with a puffed beef tendon chicharron um, over, I want to say like beet lentils or something like that. Um, I was eating outside. It was a cool night, you know, borderline cold. And it was just, it just scratched an itch, man. That dish just, it made my heart happy. Um, and then I got to give a shout out also to Josh Lozano, Uprising OC, um, a lot of, I don't know why 2020 became the year of the Basque cheesecake, but if you've been anywhere around Orange County, 
Um, Josh started slinging them first. I mean, his baked cheesecakes, these Basque style cheesecakes are just stupid, stupid good. So shout out to him as well. But honest to God, the best thing I ate this year, um, the very first OC Smoke Kitchen pop-up we did, hosted by Blake Milgren over at Craft House and put on by Danny Castillo of Heritage Barbecue with all these other chefs. Um, Chef Ralph Montez, when he was still with Taco Maria, brought over a bunch of uncooked tortillas from Taco Maria, these blue corn, like, and I'm going to screw up exactly where they're from, so I apologize, Chef. Um, but basically, you know, we kind of got the last cars coming through and it kind of turned into unofficial family meal for everybody that was there kind of volunteering. He started pulling out these tortillas with this little house-made salsa they'd whipped up in Blake's kitchen and we threw on some of Danny's brisket and man, like after a full day of, you know, f- I was filming, other people were cooking, bagging up, you know, giving to all these hospitality workers that were out of work, just standing around, like having a beer, you know, shout out to the guys from Brewery X and Artifacts who were down there. They donated their time and a ton of cans of beer uh, for all these people that were affected by the pandemic. That taco and just hanging out with everybody was one of the best things I had. It just, it, 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 it fed the soul, man. It was awesome. And it kind of goes back to that original question of why do I love doing this? It was just, man, it was beautiful. That was, that was, that was the best one I had, Mike. Unfortunately, that's not on a menu anywhere. That's just one of those backyard type of bites that uh, you cannot get anywhere else. Um, speaking on the food stuff, the team at Mayfield down at San Juan Capistrano, very good friends of the show. If you've listened to the past several episodes, writes over on Instagram, says, what would your last supper be? Uh, my last supper without any hesitation would be my mom's meat pie. Um, it's kind of a riff. It's like an Americanized bastardized, sorry, mom version of like a shepherd's pie. I grew up with it. It was always that thing. I spent a lot of my years growing up in Colorado. Um, winter would come around. It was like a winter staple. She'd just make this big ass casserole dish of it. Um, you know, just ground meat, a lot of veggies. She cooked it in like this cream of mushroom soup and stuff like that topped with mashed potatoes and cheese, kind of that same shepherd's pie, um, you know, architecture. And that's, that's just a childhood memory. It's a flavor memory. It, it takes me back to like snowy winters, getting inside, you know, sledding and doing dumb shit with, you know, my friends like Mike, what up, Mike again, two for you. Um, that would easily be my last supper. Plus I, it, it hits your stomach really hard. So I'd probably pass out on the table before they put the needle in. I don't know why I'm going by execution. I just always hear what would your last meal be? And I immediately think death row. Um, or if I'm going peacefully, either way, it would definitely put me to sleep. So I'm going out in my sleep regardless. I don't know why I immediately went death row, but <laughs> either way, that's the last supper. Um, why is food culture so important to people in your opinion? This is from my good friend, Anita. Um, language is a barrier for the world. Uh, some people, you know, classy Europeans generally speak a handful here in California, most people speak at least two or can at least kind of get around uh, with some broken Spanish. I'm trying my best. It's one of my New Year's resolutions. Uh, but language is a barrier. If you don't understand what someone is saying, then it's tough to communicate. Food is a universal language, I think. And when you're trying to get to know someone, when you're trying to learn about someone, you can read a history book and you can learn about somebody's culture and you know you can learn about people. But sharing a meal with somebody expands that entirely. Um, when I was a kid growing up in school, I was very much a hands-on learner. I was terrible with like large lecture halls and things like that. I would just fall asleep and inevitably need tutoring or, you know, hands and knees groveling to the professor to pass me anything that was hands-on. I was golden. 
food is that way for me. Um, it kind of harkens back to that reason of why I love the industry and why I'm choosing to do this instead of actually getting a real job and making a salary. Um, food explains who someone is. It explains where they came from. It's, it immediately connects you with them. Um, the first time that I was served a, you know, home cooked meal that I can remember as a kid, uh, from the, I had, I had a nanny, uh, it was a Spanish nanny. I don't know what part of Mexico her family was from. I was in Texas at the time. Um, and she made homemade tamales and it, it changes you. I think when you have a meal like that and you share a meal like that with somebody, you connect with them in a way that you can't through a book or someone teaching you about that culture. Um, and it really, it, it just changes you. I, I, there's no other way to describe it. I think anybody who's listening to this, if you're listening to this podcast, you already kind of understand what I'm talking about. My assumption is I'm not talking to someone who, you know, just had their very first taco or, you know, their very first biryani or their very, you know, whatever it is. Um, food connects you through people. You understand flavors. You start to understand regions. Um, the first time that I was treated to like, South African dishes and all these other things. I, I may never get the chance to go to South Africa. That may never be something that happens to me, but I at least have a better connection than just, you know, watching a special about it on Netflix. Food culture, it tells the history of people. It tells the history of humanity um, in a way that you just don't get from other things. And that intimate process of somebody making you a meal they're putting themselves on that plate. They're explaining to you who they are and where they come from. You know, it, again, I love my mom. This is by no means a Michelin dish. If I were to serve somebody, you know, that meat pie, they would at least be like, oh, okay, I get a little bit more about you based on this. You know, if somebody serves you that meal, whatever it is from their childhood or their culture or their past or wherever they're from, you instantly learn a little bit more about them. What would you like to see? This is the big question that I got before we get into what's next for the best seats um, and things like that. Oh, you know what? I didn't answer. Sorry. I'm just going back over my notes. Um, I answered my favorite dish. I did not answer my favorite drink. I apologize. Uh, my favorite drink was twofold. I, I got to give a shout out to uh, Luis down at Mayfield. He made a drink that he had made for a competition. It was basically like a tequila version of kind of a Ramos Gin Fizz. If you don't know what that is, please Google it really quick because it takes about 12 minutes to make and about 12 minutes to explain. And I'm trying to save your time here because uh, you're probably sick of listening to me at this point. The guy who made a, a death row comparison for his last meal. <laughs> I still don't know why that happened. My favorite drink was one that he whipped up um, because the drink had a story. And first of all, it was freaking delicious. It was gorgeous to look at. It tasted divine. Um, I could have sipped it all day. He could have put it in an IV bag and I would have been happy as a clam. But the story that he told with it and the reason that he made it was way above and beyond just putting together flavors for a competition. Um, it was really personal for him and it was really kind of telling a story. Um, and it was really just fantastic. And then I got to give a shout out to the team up at Strongwater in Anaheim, um, putting together tiki drinks to go. Anybody who knows tiki at all, obviously it's a lot about the presentation. It's about obviously the tiki mug and all the, you know, the garnishes and great ice and, you know, the nutmeg over the top and all these other things, you know, dolphin or bananas cut in half and with cloves to be made to look like dolphins, et cetera. Uh, picking up to go tiki from the team up at Strongwater, bringing it home and being able to enjoy like a really nicely made Saturn cocktail at home um, or a Mai Tai was awesome. 
2020 is all about escapism for me with all the hard stuff that was going on. It was really, really cool to come home and be able to really kind of escape and get that kind of tropical sensation and all the fun stuff that Tiki brings to a cocktail. Uh, these are not items, you know, some of these things that falaritum and other ingredients aren't things that I usually have in my home bar. I have a lot of rums and I generally have orgeat in my fridge, but I don't, again, I just don't, I don't have falaritum and I don't have some of these other ingredients that you need to really make beautiful tiki drinks, let alone all the kind of different juices. So to be able to pick those up and the presentation was amazing. I mean, Rob and the team up there, just the packaging, like it was just really, really, really fantastic. So shout out to the team at Strongwater um, and Mayfield. Those were probably my favorite drinks of 2020 as far as cocktails go. And then I can't count all the number of fantastic wines that Ali Coyle, um, shout out to Ali again over at uh, Dublin Wine Works and Fable. She recommended some really kick-ass bottles. I mean, Jumpin' Juice, especially this beautiful natural wine out of Australia. I must have gone through probably two cases of that in about a month. Um, just some really, really, really delicious juice. So shout out to all three of those groups. Uh, what is 2021 going to look like? This was basically the most common question I got. You know, what are some, Elliot Kang wrote over this one on Instagram. What are some permanent changes you foresee in hospitality, culinary, you know, just changes to the industry in 2020? This was the biggest question I got. Uh, first and foremost, I am not an expert in this. Uh, my biggest flaw self-admitted is that I have not worked hospitality proper. My life never took me in a direction where I was able to get behind the bar. Um, I do a lot of coaching for youth sports that requires that my evenings be free for coaching, my weekends free for travel. Those are obviously primetime working hours for hospitality. I've always been an ardent advocate and supporter of the industry. I haven't worked it properly. I am self-taught in everything that I've done with guidance and mentorship from a couple of dear friends in the industry out here and beyond. So speaking, kind of prefacing with that, the future of hospitality and culinary, first and foremost, I pray to God it survives. Um, I pray as many restaurants make it out of this as they can. Before the pandemic, there were a lot of restaurants opening. I, I was on record as saying that I think too many were opening. Um, it was oversaturating the market. And unfortunately, I think that's created unhealthy competition here in the pandemic. Everybody's fighting to be seen and everybody's fighting to be heard and, and make a dollar. But the changes to it itself, um, I pray to God that people start to say that the customer is not always right. I don't think a lot of customers know what the hell they're talking about. I don't think they actually know what they want. Um, I don't think a lot of them really understand how much work and how much passion and how much sacrifice goes into these good restaurants. You want to be some asshole who goes to Cheesecake Factory? Go to Cheesecake Factory. Don't take that same mentality to some private mom and pop place, some independent restaurant, some chef working their ass off, you know, feeling snubbed from awards and stuff like that, and you know, driving to feed their family while putting kick-ass food on a plate. You know, somebody really burning and bringing in rare bottles and all these cool flavors to provide a killer, killer cocktail experience, and you just want another Tito soda. Um, I pray to God that that starts to dissipate. I hope in the early parts of the pandemic, um, a lot of people were saying, you know, we want to support whatever we can do. You know, we're here for you. We're here for the restaurant. Then the story started to come out where the entitlement came back. What do you mean you can't do this? What do you mean? Well, no, I want this. I want it that way. And that's the problem. Um, the expectation, the entitlement. You know, when I did a podcast episode um, with Daniel Castillo before he opened Heritage, I asked him, um, are you worried at all about setting up a traditional Texas style? Meaning you wait in line and when you get to the window, you order and when your food's ready, it's ready. 
And he said, you know, I'm doing it my way and this is what I want it to be. And I want it to be authentic. Sure as shit. First two weeks, the Yelp reviews started coming in. And by the way, fuck Yelp entirely. And we'll get back to that for 2021. But fuck Yelp. Plain and simple. There's no explanation. Fuck Yelp. Um, he said they were getting Yelp reviews saying people were, well, these long lines are ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. What do you mean? I can't do this. What do you mean? I can't do this. This should be set up for me. I am important. Meanwhile, this is written by some guy named Chad wearing swim trunks and a Massimo golfing t-shirt in his profile photo. So he's really not that goddamn important. Um, if you've been following me on Instagram at all, I keep getting sent bad Yelp reviews and started to take them down, which is going to be something for 2021. You're going to see more of, but we'll get to that. Um, I worry that you're going to see some of the intimate parts of service change. Uh, ben Martinick from studio down at montage talked about this on his podcast. You know, that's a, that's a five-star, you know, diamond experience. That is a Michelin quality experience. That is where you have a captain for your table. There's a lot of table side service, things like that. I don't know if people are going to be comfortable with that. You know, did 2020 kill the table side Caesar? Did it kill table side guac? I don't know. Um, I know it didn't kill tableside guac because I went out to a restaurant recently that was not open safely and they did it. So you can roll the dice and probably take a guess at that now that I've narrowed that down for you. But those tableside preparations, you know, carving the Dover sole tableside, are they gone? I don't know. I hope not. I fear they might be. Um, I hope you see smaller menus from people. I hope that restaurants do more to increase the price of their dishes so that they can pay you know, living wages and give their employees the thing that they want to. And, you know, whether it's health insurance or just basically being able to kind of take care of people. Um, I hope bartenders throughout all this have found a better work-life balance. You know, unfortunately, you can't change dinner hours. You can't change bar hours. People are still going to close at two in the morning. People in New York and Chicago are still going to close, you know, in the wee, wee hours that can take a toll on people. When you're getting home at five in the morning after a you know long shift, you're sleeping vampire hours. You're not waking up until one. You know That's, that's tough. Um, I hope that people have found ways to cope during this. I hope that people have found ways to better themselves and to relax and to create a healthier kind of mental state. And I hope that those things stick around. And I hope those conversations stick around. Um, I hope that there's a continued push for better mental health and better lifestyle, you know, people who need childcare, who work hospitality. Um, there's a whole range of things that we could go on for hours and hours about, but I hope that this has shine a, or shown a light on some of those issues that people need help. If they're going to work this industry, you know, you shouldn't just have to show up, clock in for your shift, rely on, you know, running the risk of terrible customers, not tipping you to try and survive while you're doing this and you know being passionate about it. So I hope that those conversations continue. Um, I hope that we do see a continued push for sustainability and sourcing local, you know, things like chef's gardens, even where people are really growing a lot of their herbs and garnishes locally. Um, I think that there's a really big push for local and the independent restaurant as a whole. I also hope that there's a change in food media. Um, I can't tell you how many times in early 2020 you would see things like the eater, you know, eater had this one forever. It was like a death watch, like watching restaurants that might close stuff like that, celebrating things like, ooh, Taco Bell's got a new thing. Media group, who I'm calling out on that one, you know who you are. Um, that bullshit's got to change. I, I think that's trash. I think you need to celebrate. Celebrate this, Celebrate your chef on the line who's just kicking ass on grill. You know, Celebrate your bar back. Celebrate these untold stories. Yes, your head chefs and your owners are fantastic people and they should get the limelight for creating this vision. 
But who are the people around them that are supporting that vision, that are making that vision happen every single day when they're not there? Those are the stories that I hope get told. And I hope that media wakes up a little bit and does that. And that's my goal kind of for the best seats. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, which kind of takes me into the other massive amount of questions. What will 21, 2021 look like for the best seats? Um, at the time of this recording, it hasn't gone live quite yet. There will be a full video going up on patreon.com slash the best seats, as well as the YouTube page for it. I don't have a custom URL for that yet because I don't have enough followers yet because YouTube is stupid, um, as well as IGTV, Facebook, wherever else it is. Basically laying out what 2021 will look like. But let's get into it right now. I am super excited for 2021. Like I said, 2020 was major for the best seats. Um, my networking grew a lot. I wouldn't have survived fiscally without Patreon. So again, thank you for that. Um, but as far as the content goes, every Tuesday, there's going to be a weekly mailbag live show. Um, I don't know if it's going to be YouTube yet. I don't know if it's going to be Twitch yet. I don't know if it's going to be Instagram live yet. But basically, questions are going to go up on patreon.com slash the best seats on Saturday. They will go throughout the whole weekend. People will be able to submit questions over there, whatever they want to do. There will be a really short question time period on Monday for everybody else. But Patreon always gets first go. If you support over on Patreon, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar a month or $15 a month, whatever it is, you get early access to submit questions, whatever you want to talk about. You want to talk about upcoming? Well, depending on when you're listening to this, football playoffs have probably already happened. You want to talk about football? Let's talk about football. You want to talk about soccer? I don't know a lot about it, but we'll talk about it. You want to talk about food? Let's talk about food. You want to talk about Marvel? Let's talk about Marvel. I don't care. Anything you want to ask. It is a weekly mailbag live show. If you can't make the live show, that is going to go live back up on the YouTube channel. As soon as I can edit it and get it back up there, it's going to be fun. Basically, just kind of a way to weekly check in, shoot the shit. Again, I'll be kind of sitting around here at the desk editing stuff, whether it's a, for, you know, a podcast episode, something like that. A way to just check around and kind of have some fun. So that is every Tuesday. Every Wednesday, there will be episodes of the Best Seats podcast dropping for everybody. Now, that's on Wednesday. What about Patreon? You support on Patreon, you get early access. That's right. Podcasts will drop the Friday before for everybody. So let's say that you're listening to this podcast on Wednesday. Everybody else has had access to it for a bunch of days. Maybe there was some great deal, some reservation. Don't miss out on that stuff. Support on Patreon and you will get it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that many days before the public. So do not miss out, but they will drop to the public on Wednesday. If you just want to support, they will be on free feeds on Wednesdays. Thursdays, the pass is back. For those that do not know what I'm talking about, go back on the IGTV videos, go to YouTube, check out the episodes of the pass. Basically, this is about a six to 10 minute video wrapping up some major news stories that happened that week. It's kind of a summary, kind of your basic, hey, this happened, this happened, and this chef moved there, this bartender is now there. Kind of just a summary video. Um, really quick, here's the reason that the pass stopped. I got 10 episodes in, and then the pandemic really fully took hold. I didn't feel comfortable doing the pass for three reasons. Number one, information was changing faster than I can work. I'm one person. I'm doing podcasts. I'm trying to keep up with people. I'm trying to network. I'm trying to take care of some dogs and keep a roof over my head. Um, I don't have time, quite frankly and honestly, to film four different episodes of the pass, apply music to it, edit it, publish it by myself when information is changing seemingly every 48 hours. Um, I tried to film a couple of episodes early on in the pandemic, 
basically what happened is I would finish and then I would get a text saying, oh yeah, hey, by the way, that text that I just sent you, we're not doing that anymore. Or hey, actually we've decided to stay closed. Or oh yeah, we're not doing takeout. Oh, that thing that we just talked about, that's not happening. People were changing left, right, and center. Newsom was changing shit left, right, and center. The nation was changing left, right, and center. So logistically, it didn't make sense. Um, secondly, the pass only does, you know, like five, six topics an episode, give or take. I didn't feel right singling out people. I know that I have my biases. I know that I, you know, logistically, I live in South County. I don't get up to North County nearly as much as I should. That is something that's going to change in 2021. You have my word. Um, I tried to give some shout outs to Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego a little bit more during the pandemic, but obviously it's tough. That's going to change in 2021, and you're going to see more of that in the past as well. But I didn't feel right when everybody is struggling, only giving shout outs to like five or six people. So that was just a kind of a moral thing for me. And then the other thing, quite frankly, is I didn't know if the best seats was going to survive. So I kind of put my efforts elsewhere um, for the first couple months. And then as the pandemic raged, I thought, well, I'll bring it back in June. Oh, okay. I'll bring it back in July. Ooh, I'll bring it back in August. And the pandemic never stopped. So now that we're in 2021, fuck it. The past is coming back and I cannot wait to bring it back to everybody. It's fun, but those are the reasons that I stopped it for 2020. Um, I hope you understand it. I hope you respect them. I get it. If you don't, either way, the past is coming back with new episodes on Thursdays for the public, Mondays for Patreon. So if you support on Patreon, you get those podcasts early, you get the pass early. And the pass is not one that you want to miss because that is also going to have updates on news. Maybe it's a special event, something you got to get a reservation in for. Again, this is all with the plan in mind that hopefully this pandemic will be ending soon. On Fridays, obviously, Follow Friday is back with a vengeance. You're going to be putting up accounts, or sorry, I'm going to be putting up accounts that you're going to be seeing every Friday over on Instagram at the best seats. They will also go up on Patreon at the end of the month, rounding up all the accounts and businesses that people should follow. Um, again, just kind of grabbing those from time to time, different businesses, whether it's a new restaurant, a restaurant that I don't think people have known, a liquor brand that I want people to support, whatever it is. Um, all of that is not sponsored post in any way, shape or form. That is purely me just picking some accounts that I like and hoping that you will go give them a follow. Additionally, the blog is coming back. It is in the process of being rebuilt right now, so it's a little visually more appealing. There's going to be exclusive content, breaking news, opinion pieces, humor, some guest features. There's some people that I'm reaching out to that want to put up some writing without the barrier of you know, pissing off advertisers or having to worry about a real editor because I am not that. Uh, there's going to be event recaps and updates to Patreon. Speaking of the events... There is going to be some big things in 2021 as far as food and wine events goes, and Patreon supporters are going to get access to that first. Whether it's the ability to get tickets early, whether it's a discount code for tickets, whether it's exclusive access, it's all going to happen on Patreon first. Don't just hear about it on the blog later for a recap. Remember, if you support on Patreon, I know I sound like a broken record, early access to new episodes of the Best Seats Podcast, early access to episodes of the past, both ad-free, by the way. So when and if advertisers come on board, of which there are some in talks right now, you will not have to have cutaways from the show for advertisements at all. Event discounts, partner deals, and more over at Patreon, exclusive blogs, the weekly AMA opportunity, and the ability, as always, to submit questions, comments, concerns across all productions and for the best seats in general. I know that's a lot. 
There's a lot to take in there. A lot to take in. I'm so grateful for everybody. Again, there were a lot more questions. The show is already running, as you can probably see, close to about an hour. I knew it was going to run over that. I didn't think people wanted to stick around and listen to me talk for two hours. So I kind of cut some of the questions out. I compiled some of the questions uh, because people kind of learned some of the similar things. Uh, But basically, thank you. I don't have much else to say other than that, other than thank you uh, for listening, for continuing to support. Oh, and there was one last question that I can tell about now. Somebody asked, who are my next upcoming guests for the Best Seats podcast? Well, you're going to have to check out Patreon for that one if you want to submit questions. But I'm very happy to say that they are both incredibly talented women, very, very talented in their fields. I can't wait to share their stories with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody that submitted questions. I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. I'm grateful to Ali Quill for the music. Remember, thebestseats.com for more information just like this. Patreon.com slash thebestseats. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Support local. Fuck third-party delivery apps. Yelp can go kick rocks. I love all of you. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.